Heavenly Father, we do just thank you that you do love us. And God, you love us immensely more than we ever deserve. God, you love us far beyond us even having the capacity to really see and understand and realize. And God, we thank you that because of who you are, because of what you are doing in our lives, that we will be able to understand that a little bit more as we go throughout all of eternity. And so God, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your love. God, I thank you that you even love us so much to to speak to us, to give us your word. And so Lord, now as we open up the scriptures, would our eyes see, would our ears hear, would our hearts be moved by what you would have to speak to us? God, would we receive your love in these moments of just studying what you have already passed on to us through the generations, but the same thing that will be true back then, we know will be true one day again. And so God, would you open us up to hear from us? Lord God, would the words I share not be mine, anything I share Uh, that would be a distraction or in the way, Lord God, would you just remove that? So all that we would hear is what you would have to say to us, Holy Spirit. We thank you for this, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, a number of years ago, I had the opportunity to attend uh, an amazing birthday party. It was a birthday party for a 90-year-old woman at the church uh, that I used to attend, Mary was this lovely lady who uh, was affectionately referred to by everyone as either Auntie Mary or Grandma Mary. She preferred to be called the Virgin Mary number two uh, because she actually lost her husband uh, in the Second World War, her fiancé in the Second World War, and stayed perpetually single. This is a a picture of Mary uh, with my oldest daughter, uh, Skye, and uh, she was just this great figure in the life of the church. She just loved everyone Uh, unconditionally and was just so caring even here I think uh, this is when she's about 89 Uh, she would just cuddle all the church babies at the time that was the oldest and youngest person in that congregation but we loved Mary so much that uh, for her 90th birthday we decided we were going to throw a huge birthday bash and we let all the people uh, from her past and through uh, the different generations that our church had gone through uh, know and we decided to really decorate up the church and throw this big party. And so we decorated the space and made it this great time. But someone had had this really neat idea as we decorated the spaces that they decided to create a display for each decade that she had been alive. And so in each display, there were pictures of the fashion of the day. There were highlighted news articles of of great things that had happened. There was uh, what the popular music was, what the greatest technological advance was. And so it was quite an interesting display. She had been born in uh, the early 1910s, and so a lot of things had changed. And so what she did is she, as she socialized with people, she would just swing by a little display and she would tell some stories about that. She told us stories about how she grew up riding in a a horse and buggy instead of a car. She told us about the first thing that she ever saw on TV. She told us all these interesting stories about uh, her adventures. As I said, she called herself the Virgin Mary, and so she told us about her love life and her engagement and then losing her fiancé in the war. She told us all of these things, and she really had a lot of experience to share, and it was this great party. And... 
As you do at the end of a party, you often, or at the center of a party, you often have the person maybe speak, especially someone with that much wisdom through the decades. And I'll never forget the thing that she said, and I've written, uh, written it down here. It says, life and the world are always changing, so be ready and open to that change. She said, prepare for it, and life will be so much better. Oh, and trust God, because God is always good. This was her advice to all of us who had not lived through her decades. Is She said, you know what, change is going to come. I could never, you know, and she told us about how she could never have expected to see the things she saw in her lifetime. But she said, you know, if you're ready and you're willing and you're open to what God's going to do, and you're prepared to see what God's going to lead you into, you can trust in him. Because God is good. And I love that advice. Well, today we're looking at a passage of scripture which I think Grandma Mary would have loved. It's this passage that shows us about the experience that a couple individuals had as they allowed God to speak to them, to change their hearts, to lead them into a different place. If you've got a Bible, I'd love for you to join me there in Acts chapter 10. Uh, We've been going through this series called Church on Fire, looking at the early church, and we've come to this place where we're at sort of a pivot point in the life of the early church. We're about seven to eight years in at this point where we pick up here, and at this point in time, all of the Jesus followers are people of either Jewish descent or people who have decided to be religiously Jewish. We've seen how the church has tried to navigate all that. But at this chapter, we see that a big shift takes place. The church is about to include Gentiles. And Gentiles is just this term for non-Jewish people. This is sort of the starting point where the church actually fulfills Jesus' command. Seven years before this chapter takes place, Jesus said this in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You will receive my power. When the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, if I heard that and I saw the Holy Spirit, I like to think that I would have been right on this. Yeah, ends of the earth. Here we go. But here we are seven years in. Not a whole lot of movement has happened beyond Jerusalem and Judea let alone to the ends of the earth where all those Gentiles are. Well, up until this point, this has been a big place of resistance until a shift begins to happen in the heart of Peter. If you were here last week, you might remember Mikey uh, shared with us the beginning of chapter 10, verses 1 to 23, talking about how there was this guy named Cornelius, and he was praying in one place, and then there was Peter over in another place, and Peter had had this vision of a giant picnic blanket that descended from the sky with different animals on it, and God had said, you can go and have your pick, and Peter said, not a chance, not a chance, I'm a good Jew, I'm not going to be associated with those things that the Gentiles are associated with. No way, no how, God. And God said, you fool. These things I have given to you and don't call anything unclean which I have given to you. There's this picture that he gives that there should be a change, a breakdown of the distinction between Jew and Gentile because of what God has done and is doing and what his vision for the future is. 
So the Holy Spirit, after this vision has taken place, tells Peter, go to your door. You're going to run into some guys. Uh, he's at, at a friend's house, and he says, you're going to run into some guys who are there to say something to you. And so Peter goes down the stairs, and lo and behold, there at his friend's door are Cornelius, who's the guy from the other town's servants. And they're there, and they say, hey, Peter, our boss has had this vision from God, and he wants to talk to you. Will you come with us? Now, this is quite a surprising situation and two interesting people that God decides to work in the heart of. We have Cornelius, this Roman centurion. He's a figure of the Roman occupation and authority of Jerusalem. He's this guy who would have been known as the enemy. And here he is calling on Peter. Well, that's awfully strange because, as we know, as the early church expands, Rome hates Christians. And anyone who stood alongside of Rome was expected to persecute them, imprison them, and if they wouldn't come in line, to kill them. And we see that actually the beginning of the first couple centuries after Jesus are quite the bloodbath because of what happens here. And so you have Cornelius praying to God, hearing from God, and calling on Peter. Peter, on the other hand, if we remember him in the Gospels and other parts of Acts, we know that he's a pretty judgmental guy who's pretty passionate. And one of his passions is disliking Gentiles and especially Roman occupiers. He's actually lashed out at a few of them. And so we have this interesting thing that God begins to brew in the hearts of two individuals as he brings them together. So let's pick up at Acts chapter 10, verse 24, and we're going to read along to verse 48, and I'm going to make some comments along the way, and then we'll consider what this could mean for us. So in verse 24, we read, The following day, so this is after the guys have come to uh, Peter's friend's house and come on inside with him. The following day, he traveled and he arrived in Caesarea. And Cornelius was expecting them, and he had called together his relatives and close friends. So God's been doing something and given Peter this picture, and he said, these guys are going to come, and I want you to listen to them. These guys have come. They said, hey, our boss wants to see you. Let's go travel and see him. And so they travel for a day's journey. It was about 38 miles. I don't know what that is in kilometers, because I didn't calculate, I think, like 62 or something. Uh, they've got, that's bad math. Um, but they've gone, and while this is all happening, Cornelius has been preparing Cornelius is like, wow, I have been praying to God. God has told me he's going to send someone to me. Let's get ready for whatever God's going to do. And so Corny, as I'll call him for the rest of the time, because I want to give him an affectionate pet name here. Corny says, hey, friends, come on over. Come on over. You got to meet this guy. God is doing something. He's, he, he's told me that he's going to send this guy named Peter. Come on, stop whatever you're doing. Take a break. Come to my house and wait. Now, this is a lot of faith. This is a lot of faith on the part of Corny. Because, for starters, he's never met Peter. Second of all, all he knows is that this guy, Peter, happened to have been staying at a friend's house down the road a day's journey, and he was there and that his men would hopefully find him and be able to convince him to come back. 
he also must have had a lot of faith because he's willing not just to embarrass himself in this situation, but all his family and friends. Hey guys, take time off. Come meet this Jewish guy you just got to hear. Well, in an honor and shame society, if, if Cornelius was going to end up making a fool of himself, it was going to do a really bad job for his political career and his social life. Imagine if one of your friends said, hey, come on by, God's given me a revelation that a guy down the road is going to come and share something amazing with us. What would he do? Oh, I, I'd probably decline. Like, unless it's like The Rock or Oprah or something, like, I'm, I'm going to pass on by. But here it's just some fisherman, some guy named Peter from another culture. Like, like who is this guy? And yet, Corny decides, I'm going to hang everything on what God has revealed to me. And it's very clear that Corny is expecting something special because of what we read in verse 25. It said, as Peter entered in the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up and said, stand up. I am only a man myself. Though Cornelius didn't really know Peter, he knew that he was sent from God, and so therefore he thought he was a, a big deal. And in his culture, what you do is when you thought you were worshiping a god or an angel or some form of ambassador of the deity you worshiped is that you would fall down face first on your feet, you'd kiss their toes and wait for them. Now listen to Peter's reaction. He says, stand up. I'm only a man myself. I love this moment and that Luke decided to include it in the book of Acts because it shows that there must have been a change of heart that's happened in Peter. Again, Peter hates Gentiles. He hates the Roman occupiers. And here was his chance. Here was his chance to dump whatever he wanted to dump on Cornelius and make him look a fool. It was an opportunity to seem superior over everybody else in the room. He's brought his friends, we know it says earlier in chapter 10. This is a great moment for Peter. And, and Peter's been known to sort of be bombastic and out there and try to make himself look good. But here, he does the very opposite thing. Instead of reveling in the moment, Peter chooses to do two things. First, he chooses to honor God. He honors God by not elevating himself to that status. He says, God, I'm going to follow you in this and take his cue. And so he stops this man from worshiping him. But he doesn't just stop this man from worshiping him, but he elevates him to his status. He brings up Corny to meet him eye to eye. And he says, stand up. You and I were both just men. Now that's a big, bold statement, which we'll get to in a minute. But why, why that shows a sense of Peter's change is because he would have said anything but if he had been a good Jew in that moment. John Stott writes in his commentary that this is a beautiful picture because Peter both refused to be treated by Cornelius as if he were a god, and he chose not to treat Cornelius as if he was a dog. So a lot has changed in what Peter began to do. And so we see that the most shocking thing of all 
happens as he enters in. In verse 27, while talking with Cornelius, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising an objection. May I ask why you sent for me? The simple words that Peter went inside tell us that God has done something incredible in him. He has had to change his posture of his whole life to be prepared for what he would be invited into. I'm, I'm emphasizing this idea that the Jews hated the Gentiles because we really have to understand that to know how much God had been doing in their life. And I mean, they really disliked being uh, around Gentiles. And there's actually a clue in one of their ancient prayers. There's this prayer that Jewish people pray every day. It's called the morning blessings. And it's a series of different prayers and petitions where you pray to God, you thank him for a variety of different things. And in that prayer, that every good Jewish man would pray every day, they would say this, Baruch ata Adonai Eloheinu melech ha'olem she'lo asani goy. Which means, blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who has not made me a Gentile. This was one of the greatest blessings that I should thank God for every day, that I'm not one of them. Man, God, you're good. I am a Jew and not them. Peter goes on and explains that this isn't just a preference thing, but it's actually a commandment in their law. You would be considered ceremonial unclean and be banished from your community from spending time with a Gentile. And yet here is Peter not just speaking with him, which could get him banished from his community, but stepping in, surrounding himself with people of another culture who he should, in his mind of his um, upbringing, have nothing to do with. Peter has had his heart prepared for a very special moment. I don't know exactly how it all worked out in Peter's mind, but as he had this vision of this picnic blanket that descended from the sky with the, the different animals that he could kill and eat, there had been some type of thought about what is clean and unclean, and somehow, before this moment, he had wrestled enough with God to realize that it wasn't just about the animals on the blanket, it was about the people those animals represented. Peter had now come to this place where he understood that God loves and accepts people from all backgrounds, and so should he. And so he, as he enters on in, Peter says, what's next? Why have you called me? What am I here for? And he opens himself up, not just for Cornelius to speak to him, but for God to reveal what would happen next. Now, what's interesting in this moment is that Cornelius reiterates what we read about at the beginning of chapter 10 last week. He talks about how he, too, has had his heart prepared by God. He says, three days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour, which is at three in the afternoon. And if you read the earlier text, it says that he was fasting. 
and praying. He says, suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send a Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He's at the guest of the, he is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. There's this preparation that has been getting done in the work of Cornelius. We don't know everything that happens in the background, but as we'll find out in a moment here, that he was not yet a follower of Jesus, yet he wanted to worship and honor God. And so he prayed to him, he fasted for more direction, and he ended up spending time doing good in honor of God. And then as he did those things, he waited and waited and waited, and eventually God spoke to him. And what do we see he does is he takes the little piece of information that is given to him and he acts on it immediately, preparing himself for what's next. And then as Peter walks in, he prepares himself for what's next again. Peter, we don't know why you're here. We don't know what you're supposed to say to us, but we know God has something next. I've gathered all my family and friends. Come on in, I'll show you my Middle Eastern hospitality. We just want to spend some time with you. It's very clear that God has been working in each of these men's lives, and each of these men have been preparing their heart for what comes next. Both of these men, without us really knowing everything, have expected God to do what he promises. Let's just stop there for a sec. How often do you think about the promises of God? How often do you spend your time preparing for what God might have next? There's these promises that are passed down to us through scripture all over the place, and I think time and time again we forget about them. There's something that is revealed to us here that when God makes a promise for something next that he will fulfill it. We see it all throughout scripture, but do we believe it? Do we live it? Do we prepare for what God has next? There's all sorts of prayers that we read that God answers. I mean, Jesus himself in John 14 uh, says, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. And there he says, if you are doing things in my name with my heart, looking for my will, I will move in your life and through you. In James 5, 13 to 16, uh, Jesus' brother James says, if anyone among you is in trouble, let them pray. Let them come to God, talk to him, expect for something. If anyone's happened, let them pray by singing songs of praise. If any of you sick, let them call the elders of the church to pray over them, to anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And, and, and the prayers which are offered up in faith will make the sick well. The Lord will raise them up. And you know what? If they've sinned, they will be forgiven. So confess, pray with one another so that you might be healed 
because the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Peter will go on from this moment where he's witnessing, where he's seeing the promises of Jesus delivered on. In 1 Peter chapter 3, he will say, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. Do we know those promises? Are we searching after them? Are we preparing ourselves for them? Well, Cornelius and Peter were. We see that they prayed, that they fasted, that they spent time wrestling with God, and that they acted on the small things God gave them to step into what he would have for them next. And what happens next for Peter is every preacher's dream. He gets a captivated audience who wants to hear what he has to say next, who have prepared their hearts and souls for what's going to come next. And from verse 34 to 43, Peter preaches the gospel. He makes it clear as day that everyone has fallen short of the glory of God and that we need Jesus because he died on the cross as a substitute for our sins, but that he didn't just die, but that he rose back to life so that we could be with him. And he does it in this beautiful, culturally contextualized way. And we're actually going to study some of the gospel this September. That's going to be our focus, is looking at what the gospel means for us then, when we receive it, what it means for us now, and what it will mean for us in the future as we live. So we're going to come back to this in a couple weeks time but let's see in verse 44 what happens with this as peter steps in with his prepared heart to cornelius and his friends who are ready to hear it we see this while peter was still speaking this these words the holy spirit came on all who heard the message the circumcised believers who had come with peter were astonished that the gift of the holy spirit had been poured out even on them these people, they pray that they would be nothing like. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. And so Peter said, surely no one, not a single one of us good Christian Jews can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Come on, give me some more, Peter. <laughs> Come on, God, dump a little bit more on me, but let's see what happens. As people come with prepared hearts, the Holy Spirit moves and it leads to transformed lives. These men who never knew or saw Jesus, these women and kids, I assume, in Cornelius' family, as they sit to hear the story of this man who was God and what he did, came to a place where their lives were changed because they prepared for him. Prepared hearts plus the Holy Spirit leads to life transformation every single time. It does. And the more we step into it, the more that it keeps happening. We see this happen in the life of Cornelius. He takes a step out in faith. God, I think you're speaking to me. I think you really are telling me that this guy Peter is going to be in this place. Uh, somebody I never know in a place I've maybe never been is there and prepared. And I'm going to call to him even though we should be enemies. I'm going to take a step of faith. He takes that step. But while he waits, 
He calls people on in. Come on, people, you got to come meet this guy named Peter. I don't know who he, who he is, but God has said that he's going to come and that he will be here in a day's time. Come on in. Took that step of faith. As Peter comes up, he takes a step of faith to invite a man who he knows should not be in his home from either side to come on in. He invites him then to say whatever he would want. Imagine asking somebody who you perceive your, to be your enemy to say whatever they want to say to you. Well, it was okay because he knew and he was prepared for God to move in their midst. As soon as he hears the gospel, we see that they respond by beginning to worship God. As soon as their hearts are turned towards God, we see that they respond by being baptized. As soon as they're baptized, we see that they don't just say, hey, we're done, we've been washed clean, let's move on. They say, come and continue to teach us. There's a pattern modeled for us in this passage that we need to follow. We need to prepare ourselves continually and then step in to what God calls us to do. And that can look like a whole lot of different things in different situations and under different circumstances. And God will speak to you if you petition him. It's not always easy. I mean, it certainly wouldn't have been easy for Cornelius, this man who was on the other side, who didn't fully know the full revelation of who Jesus was, to sit and to pray and to fast and to give himself up. It it wouldn't have been easy, but as he did it, God answered him. For some of us, maybe perhaps we haven't come to this place. I love how this passage includes baptism. We haven't taken a, a step of faith where we've decided to declare that God is the God of our lives. And that's a step that we need to do in following our faith. And this is my shameless plug. We're having a baptism service in a couple weeks' time on the 11th. And that's how we're sort of restarting into a, a, a fresh season of the fall. And we would love you to step on in to what God is doing. We would love for you to join. This is an opportunity for you to follow him. Jesus says, come, be like me. Jesus himself was baptized as a symbol of how we can follow, and it gives us this message that our lives have been changed, that we are dead to our old selves, and that we have been made alive in Christ. And as we step on in, we have an opportunity to open ourselves to more. I love what God does as believers open their hearts to him. In the case of Peter, it meant that he would break down racial biases, that it would take him from a place of being egotistical and proud to humble himself, and that God would continue to work within. We already saw what he did with Peter when Peter went from denying Jesus three times as he went to his death to saying, hey, Peter, you're going to be the guy I build my church on. And look here. Is the first one to bring the message to the Gentiles. You know, this is also a word of warning for some of us. I think a lot of people, it feels like so many people have said, I've given up on God because I don't see him working. I've heard people say things like, I, don't, I just don't feel him anymore. I just don't see God doing the things I expected him to do. But in many cases, as we probe those things, we see that the failure is not on God's part, but our own. We fail to prepare ourselves for what God would have for us next. G.K. Chesterton wrote, We are perishing for lack of wonder, 
not for a lack of wonders. Here he's talking about the miraculous, and he says God is doing the miraculous every day. Every single day, God is taking dead people and bringing them back to life. There is people all around the world who every single day are coming to faith in Jesus, and he's restored them. Every single day, somewhere, as someone pursues Jesus, he is breaking down the hold of sin and their flesh in their lives so that they would be free of addiction and suffering and pain that comes at the hand of their sin. It's miraculous. It's not because of them. But what happens in all of these lives is that people are preparing themselves for the wonders by wondering about God. Now, it's true, God can do everything without us, and he does it all without us. We are told we are dead in our sin, and God makes us alive. That is absolutely true. But I think what God loves to do as an opportunity so we would learn to love him more is he invites us to dance. God could pick us up and move us around all he wanted on his own, but what God loves to do is invite us in. He says, I want you to be close with me. I want you to dance with me. And as you let me take the lead, as you open yourself up for where I will take you next, we will move across the dance floor of your life and you will see things and experience change in you that you could never have expected. I don't believe that the message that Peter gave was spontaneous or magically came. I believe that what happened came after great, a great number of years of preparation, years of spending time with Jesus, countless hours of praying and studying God's word. This is what prepared Peter from stepping in to preach the message that he would have. And that's true for all of us too. If we want to be people who are effective, who go out and make a difference in our world, we also have to prepare ourselves for where God will take us. Peter will later go on in First Peter, and he'll talk all about how we need to have answers and how we need to be prepared and how we need to watch out for the enemy and how we need to be ready to go with the gospel. And he'll share all of that out of experience of years of preparation, of spending time with the Lord. And the good thing is when we prepare, God's right there. He's with us in those moments, and he's doing something immediately as we let him in. Church, I would love for this next season that we're going into for us to make a commitment to one another, to be a people who are prepared for what God can do, that we would be prepared for what God's going to do at any moment, at any time, in us, in our church, and in our community through us. I would love it if that we came, as we came together, whether it's on a Sunday or in a community group or Bible study throughout the week, that, that we would all come prayed up and prepared for what God is going to do. On my part, I, I want to commit to you that I'm going to do the work that it takes to prepare a message to share with you. And I love getting to do what I do, but I got to tell you, it's hard. <laughs> Because the very first thing I usually have to do is deal with God confronting me and what he needs to speak to my own heart. And sometimes I'm, probably a lot of times, I'm a lot like Peter, and I'm like, no, God, come on. Like, what are you doing here? And God's got to do that work in me, and then I have to take that and wrestle with him in prayer for what I'm going to share with you. And really, ultimately, just be a vessel for what the Holy Spirit wants to do. There's preparation, there's study, there's prayer that goes into that, and I commit that to you. By the way, if you are one of our 
Sunday school or Bible study teachers, if you are a community group leader, this is the commitment you should be making to. We will see God at work in our midst if our leaders are prepared, if they pray, if they study God's word and wrestle with it themselves first as they bring it to the rest of us. And in return, church, can all of us, myself included, as we sit and listen to other people teach, as we study the word of God with others, can we come prepared for what God's going to do? It's not a mistake that every week on a, on a Thursday that this week's scripture goes into our newsletter. Shelley didn't just start doing that for fun and be like, hey, this is nice. Like, like that is included and incorporated so that we can all read what we're going to study on Sunday. So we can all come prepared with our thoughts and the things that God's challenging us for so that as we come to study together that he can move us into what's next through his word. Study for community groups. Study in your own devotionals, the, the different things and places where God's going and prepare, pray and prepare to get yourself into this. This is what we need to do next. There's this great old hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, and in it there's this line, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. I'm not a guitarist. Anyone who has heard me pick up a musical instrument knows that I do not have a musical bone in my body. But I spend enough time with our worship leaders, and I have spent enough time with a guitar going out of tune hanging on the wall in my house to know this, that if you want to make beautiful music, you have to take time to tune your instrument. There's different temperatures and humidities and string qualities and tensions that will pull a guitar out of tune. A week of a musician's guitar being in their guitar case when they come here on a Thursday for practice or a Sunday to lead will leave that guitar not ready to play. The same thing is true for our lives. We will all face different forces from within and with, from without that will cause us to pull and bend and be out of tune with God. So we need to go to God continually asking him to tune our hearts to sing his praise and his grace. So what are a few things that we can do to incorporate this into our lives? Well, the very first thing I would encourage every one of us to do is if we're out of tune with God, confess what's going on. Take what's going on in our hearts and our lives and bring it before God and lay it at his feet. Own up to where we've been distracted, to where we've been lazy, to where we've not trusted in his promises and leave that with him. And then secondly, we need to invite the Holy Spirit in. We need to invite him to do a new work, to create in us a new heart, pure mind to help us to focus on him. Take time before you go to study your Bible at home, before you go to a community group on Tuesday night, before you go to a men's group or a women's group or Sunday morning to actually center your heart and mind before God. This is a, a tricky one, but it's one that I really think we would all benefit from if we, you know, took time to hit do not disturb on our phone 
before we went to read our Bible or pray. If we took time to come into this place to, to pray before 10 o'clock hit and the band came on stage. Most of us, are, our trips are running to and from places. After work, I got to get to community group. I got to eat on the way. I got to do all these things. And all those things are important, but we forget to prepare our hearts. Sundays yelling at the kids, making sure everyone's fed, wiping smudges off faces, and we get in the door at 9.59 to drop off the kids to grab a cup of coffee so we can come on in at 10.08. Are we prepared? Are our hearts ready? Confess what you've got going on, take time to center on him, and then I would encourage you to jump on in. Be like corny. Jump into whatever the next thing is. Allow yourself to be immersed in God's grace of that moment to experience all that he wants to do within you. Whether it's singing a song at church, whether it's praying alongside of someone in the front entrance, whether it's reading scriptures in your daily devotions, don't just casually come on in. Go, okay, I'm going to do this and check this off the list, or I guess I have to be here, so... I'll, I'll follow along, whatever. No, jump in. Pray what's really on your mind. If you can't read a chapter, read a line. Think about it. Meditate on it. Pray through it. Reflect upon what the speaker or teacher is saying. Don't just take them at their word. Go home, study it more. Consider what others may have said. These are the things that as we do them, will invite God to move in and through us. In this next season of life, would we prepare ourselves for what God wants to do next? I'm going to invite the band to come up on stage. And, and as I close, what I would love for us to do, this is a little bit different for us, is I'd love for us to pray a prayer together. It's going to be up on the screen here. This is a, a prayer that comes from St. Augustine, and it says this, Come, Lord, stir us up and call us back. Kindle and seize us. Be our fire and our sweetness. Let us love, let us run. Amen. So if you're willing, if you're in a place now where you want to see God move, you want to be rekindled with that fire in your heart, maybe you want to come to a place where you see God move through you and you want to run and love others, I would encourage you to pray this with me. If you would, let's pray together. Come, Lord, stir us up and call us back. Kindle and seize us. Be our fire and our sweetness. Let us love, let us run. Amen. Now let's stand together and sing.